0: Hey loves, I'm Marley Liss, and welcome to the Sensual Revolution. This is a global movement to reclaim sensual empowerment on an embodied and systemic level. My personal path of sensuality has not been easy. Shame around my body image, sexual abuse, and my queerness had me dissociated and numbed the heck out. It's been a big journey to get to where I am today, but I really have turned my pain to purpose. Along the way, I've learned our personal healing makes epic waves in this world. This podcast is here to remind you that your healing is selfless. When you learn to shed shame, love your body, and claim your worth, you pave the way for all people to do the same. Here, you can expect to hear from sexual educators and healers who work at the embodied level of sensual empowerment, as well as policymakers and justice leaders who work at the systemic level. It's all connected. So whether you're at the very beginning of your own sensual healing journey, or you're a sex-positive advocate and superstar, this community welcomes you. Let's come together and revolutionize this planet one loving, sensual step at a time. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of the Sensual Revolution. I am kind of obsessed with having a podcast. It's so much fun and I get to talk to amazing humans like the one you're going to hear from today. Um, This conversation was honestly next level. I probably say that every week because I feel it, but oof, this... This conversation is really near and dear to my heart and you're going to hear from Marie Pierre aka MP, the balanced dietitian today and we just dive so deep into all things breaking up with diet culture, claiming body acceptance, unpacking the oppressive system that is Fat phobia, shedding self blame around insecurities about our bodies, learning about the intersection between sensual empowerment and body image, um, the link between objectification culture, capitalism, and fat phobia. Like, we just get so into it. And on a really simple level, this is about separating our worth from our weight and freeing ourselves from the heavy-as-fuck shackles that are diet culture and the ridiculous beauty standards and body image expectations and norms that exist in our world. Like, I personally was absolutely consumed with body shame and disordered eating for most of my life. And if I could play this episode for my younger self, oof, like, who even knows where where we'd be at um i just am so grateful for this conversation so mp is an anti-diet registered dietitian with a background in psychology she's the founder of the balanced practice she herself struggled with an eating disorder which you're going to hear a bit about today um she shares so beautifully and vulnerably and educationally about about her own journey um, she has a gorgeous dream of supporting folks in their own journeys with food. She provides evidence-based nutrition interventions to her clients, supports them in recovery. She's super, super passionate about helping people discover how to ditch diet culture and nourish their bodies without guilt, shame, restriction, which we all super, super deserve. She's also the host of the Balanced Dietitian podcast, which is an amazing, amazing listen. Um, We initially connected because I was featured on there last year, and we have so much magic that we are co-creating. So another exciting thing I want to share before we dive in is that MP and I are actually coming together for a live masterclass, a virtual masterclass, that's going down on November 18th. At 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And this is going to be a deep dive into how to eat guilt free and feel good in your body without feeling out of control with food. Hint, it involves never dieting again. Woohoo! So here for that. So if you look at the link in the show notes, you'll see a link that says thebalancedpractice.com forward slash Marley. Click that link register for this free masterclass it's gonna be freaking amazing like I wholeheartedly trust MP with this conversation I'm someone who tries to be very discerning about what information I take in about our bodies and food because of my own past with disordered eating and this is someone that I am like tell me all the things girl knows what she's talking about like such an empowering, empowering person to, to learn from and with. So check it out. Join us at the masterclass. It's going to be so much fun. And of course, I'd love to connect with you live on that note. Central Wholeness Academy is also open for enrollment. It's on, it's popping. This community is next level. So dreamy beyond um, and we'd be honored to welcome you in. So this is my eight-month group coaching program. If you want to learn more about it, go to the link in the show notes, MarleyList.com/swa, and book yourself a one-to-one call. Totally free call where you and I will connect. We'll get on a Zoom. I'll offer personalized support in your own central reclamation journey, and we'll explore if the academy is a fit for you. Um, such a beautiful space. So. Let's dive the heck into this episode. I'm so excited for you to hear it, and I'm sending you so much love. Woohoo! Hello, everyone. I'm super excited to be here with this gorgeous goddess, MP. i um, super, super excited for the conversation we're going to get into today. How are you, MP? I am doing so well. Thank you for having me on your podcast.
1: I'm super pumped to be here
0: yay me too and i'm excited too because we've done all kinds of collabs and like i was on your amazing podcast i guess a few months back and that was just we just created magic so i know we're gonna get into it today um i like to start with this kind of like meta or practical question you can take it wherever you want to go um who are you right now in this chapter of your life
1: oh that is such a good question (laughs) Hmm. I would say right now, I am really, really focused on two things. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I'm super focused on my business and growing my community and what I do. I'm an anti-registered diet dietitian, and I feel like I've really attached my identity to that right now Of mm-hmm. with all this work that I do in dismantling diet culture, helping people recover from eating disorder, disordered eating. And then my second big identity right now is I am a dog mom. <laughs> I got a puppy <laughs> not too yes. long ago, and I am freaking obsessed with him. Uh, <laughs> right next to me right now, and I'm just like, "Yep, yeah, that's, that's the vibes. <laughs> so
0: so half business over, half like dopamine mom. <laughs> I love that. I need to know, like, what is the size of the puppy?
1: My puppy is a big puppy, so he's a dopamine. He is now three
0: pounds. So he's a little Little cutie pie. So cute. I feel like I've had so much puppy talk in the past few weeks and I don't actually want a dog because like responsibility, but I just want to play with other people's puppies. So this is good to know.
1: Whenever you want.
0: I'm down. Um, and then give us a glimpse into the work that you're doing right now.
1: Yeah. So Can I go back in time and kind of like pre-frame why I'm
0: doing this work? Totally. That was going to be my next question is like, what what led you to this amazing work that you're doing now? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because I think it all kind of goes together because I, like, again, I see myself as an anti-dietitian, weight-inclusive dietitian. dietitian, And I think to be able to do this work, we all go through a different journey because the truth is that our healthcare system, our schooling is very weight centric. It's very diet driven. So oftentimes when I talk about the work I do today, I'm like, oh, but it's so important to kind of go back in time to kind of mm-hmm. explain um, why I yeah, got course. this. Um, so I always had a love hate relationship with food. I mm-hmm. think I always really loved food. I'm half Italian, half French and food is just like everywhere, part of everything. It was always very positive growing up, but there was always this piece of like, Ugh, but like, don't do too much of it. Like, enjoy it, but they're like, there's always like a, you shouldn't mm-hmm. enjoy it too much. Um, and it was just kind of like, always kind of icky. And um, then going into university, I started my journey in psychology. I've always been extremely interested in understanding why people do the things that we do. I We are eight siblings in my family, so really big family wow. with a lot of personality, a lot of... <laughs> A lot of stuff. (laughs) So I feel like that's where my love for psychology came from to kind of understand. Mm -hmm. Um, but from there, I was in a relationship that was very abusive and leaving that relationship, I started to blame my body for Mm -hmm. how the relationship ended up happening or what happened in that relationship that it just wasn't good enough. uh, I wasn't good enough and that I needed to be better. And with all the trauma from that relationship, I started to hyper-focus all of my energy on my body. My body became this project, this thing that I could take all my pain and focus on. So from that moment, I developed an eating disorder, um, which was really, really hard, um, and then went through my own recovery afterwards. I was so privileged because I... Um, we caught my eating disorder pretty early mm-hmm. and i had help i was able to get help i was able to get support um yeah when you took- say
0: we was that your family yeah, it was yeah, mostly yeah.
1: my mom and my sister at that time. Um, it took me a while to really, as I, I had an eating disorder, I started having um, anorexia nervosa. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was wonderful. Like, I was fucking living it. I was like, this is just being healthy. Like, you guys don't mm-hmm. understand. Like, I'm just like, you know, above and beyond everyone. Like, very weird ickiness around my relationship to food and my body. Like, it was so obsessive but only when I started to swing the other way, when I started to have like binge eating that I was like, okay, now there's an issue. Mm. <laughs> so I never yes. saw the issue when I was very restrictive only when, um, yeah, I swung the other way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my mom and my sister were, they are my people, <laughs> they are my yes. support. And they were really able to help me through that. Um, and then getting into um, eating disorder treatment, I then went back to school to become a dietitian. And I think, being back in school, part of it was because I wanted to work with people with eating disorder. Cause in my own recovery, I thought there was like such a gap between like the dietitians and therapists. And I kind of like wanted to merge that gap but it was still very ED driven. I was like, and also I will figure out how to eat yeah. to be like whatever, whatever perfect that I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so through that, I actually um, was able to recover and then started my own private practice working with people with eating disorder. But it took a while for me to really get on this space of like being anti diet and understand like the whole system. Mm -hmm. Like, initially for me, it was just like, oh, just when you have an eating disorder, then it's important to do this. But everybody else, like, yeah, it's fair, like, fair game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You guys can do whatever. Um, But to really get deep into this work, it took a lot of work on myself to really, really understand like the system of oppression that diet culture is. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
1: all of that journey kind of got me to where I am today, where I am so passionate in helping women, men, everybody recover from diet culture, let go of the pressure that we have to be anything other than what we are, and trying to fit into this like thin ideal that we think is going to bring us happiness and confidence and all of the things, and really just reconnect with your body and your own sense of what you want for your own life, which is really hard to do when we live in diet culture.
0: Yeah, Thank you so much, love. Thank you for sharing. And again, I'm just so glad to have you on like this topic is so near and dear to my heart and also just so freaking important in our world. And like you're saying, it's not just for folks who have realized I'm, you know, recovering from an eating disorder, but it's for all of us. And I think like you were saying, it took you a while to realize or name that you have struggled with an eating disorder and I think so many of us minimize our stuff I know I definitely did for years I was like I was like well this is fine this is what you're supposed to do to try and like keep up with a thin spo diet culture so yes thank you thank you thank you for yeah. doing that work yeah and I think it's
1: hard because it's so normalized like all of and especially like in different culture. So I was really invested in the fitness culture. Like my partner works at a gym. So I was in that environment. So a lot of stuff that was like really fucking disordered was mm-hmm. all praised. Yes. So like in our society, like there's a lot of these really messed up behaviors that we do that are continuously being promoted. So it doesn't feel like it's bad. It feels like it's okay. And it feels like it's our personal failure if we can't push through and all these things, but that's not the case, right? It's, it's all very much disordered.
0: Yeah. I so appreciate that language too a personal failure. Um, because yeah, I think so. I think that almost everyone, at least every woman, non-binary human I've worked with on some level has had a complex journey with body image. Like I've never met anyone who's just like, I've always been 100% good with my body, like, there's always more layers to it. And I think all of us have that journey. And so often all of us are like, it's me, something's wrong with me. And so the education that you bring around diet culture and anti dieting is incredible. So can you define what diet culture actually is and what some of the messages are that we might get from that?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, I love that question because oftentimes when we think of diet culture, we may just think of like different diets, right? You may just think of like, oh, keto, paleo, Whole30, like right. noon, whatever, like all of these diets per se, uh, but those are just more like tools that diet culture uses. So my favorite definition of diet culture is like Christy Harrison, who's a dietitian in the state. She is wonderful and probably one of the first um, dietitian that helped me understand what diet culture really was. Um, But we define it as a system of belief that our society has now adopted that tells us that being thinner is better, that you have more value if you're thin, that you will be more successful if you're thin, um, that you're more beautiful if you're thin, praises weight loss as this means to achieve all the success, the value, everything. So losing weight is overly praised. Um, But also that is extremely fat phobic. That makes people Mm. in larger body feel unsafe, unseen, unheard, and make them feel like they are an issue and demonizes foods. So tell us that there's good foods, bad foods, but also that your food choices is a representation of your value. So if you choose to eat kale, you're such a wonderful person and you got all the things, but other foods may not make you feel as good. So it's a whole way that we start thinking about food and body and really objectifying bodies as well as like this ornament that needs to be presented in a certain way when Mm -hmm. no, it's your freaking body. (laughs) Like you get to just live in it. Um, but the, there's so much, um, like when we think of diet culture, like it's, it can be so, so harmful for people on all spectrum, like not just people in larger bodies are impacted by diet culture. Like no one wins in a system of oppression. Like people mm. who are also like at all places, um, are affected differently. So I think that's where we see, like, it's such a social justice movement because, um, yeah, it oppresses people of all body sizes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ugh all of this love all of this conversation don't love the reality but love the conversation Um, but (laughs) yeah and it's just so powerful I know we've talked a lot before about the intersection that our work of like central reclamation and diet culture um this like world of weight loss pressure like where this all meets because like you said there's this root of objectification and I've definitely seen that like thinner bodies get super objectified bigger bodies become invisible or even fetishized like it's so it's such a mess so I really appreciate what you said of like nobody wins in a system of oppression that's such a powerful point um where do you feel like like for someone who's never thought about this before in such a clear way like where do you feel like some of these messages of diet culture come from and how can we start to when we have a thought like oh I'm you know I'm too big to be lovable like some kind of diet culture based thought like that how can we start to be like wait a second that's diet culture
1: yeah so that's really hard because diet culture is everywhere um so like I said it's like a system of belief but our society has adopted it as just it's truth so for a lot of people like we are all born with zero beliefs right like we're like blends like coming out we're like hey (laughs) life is good we don't believe nothing about our bodies but it starts really young like we'll have people and nowadays even younger with social media involved Mm -hmm. um but people like from very young age we start interacting into our world and noticing different things right so it could be ads it can be tv it can be family members And some of the things is like very subtle, like who who is represented in the media? Who do we see as beautiful on TV, right? Mm -hmm. So it may not be um, 100% like, oh, weight loss is the best. And like being fat is not good, but it's subtle. Like, okay, all the pretty people are thin, Mm -hmm. right? Or in movies and things like that and what we see. Um, it can be modeling, seeing other people who are dieting. And then we started like absorbing like, okay, like we must strive to lose weight or like weight loss is what we need to do. Like I remember growing up, like all my mom, their friends, my aunts, everybody was dieting. We're counting points. We're using the scale. Like it was just so normalized that it didn't feel wrong. It just felt like, yeah, that's what women do. Women mm-hmm. just check what they eat all the time. And there used to be things like like women or men eat like burgers and meat and women eat like salad. So it's all these like subtle message that we get through time. Um, I see it as like in onion of like so many layers of it of how we start um, creating our own core beliefs based on all of these things that we acquire through time. So it comes from everywhere. There's a lot of little pieces to it, um, but I think mostly like family um friends growing up and like media what we see Mm -hmm. so unfortunately nowadays we see that people with eating disorders are getting younger or eating disorders in general but just disordered eating disordered ways of seeing their body they start younger and younger and younger Um, yeah which kind of sucks now in terms of your second question of like how do we start i guess shifting um, I think the first part that you've mentioned is just acknowledging, like when we can, when we start being able to recognize like, what is diet culture and how does it show up in my world? That can be extremely powerful mm-hmm. because oftentimes it's so normalized for us that we don't really realize how fucked up it is, right? Like yeah. we don't really realize like all of these thoughts that we have that are actually disordered because well, everybody thinks this way. So I think the first step is being able to understand like, okay, what is diet culture and how does it show up for me? Mm -hmm. Um, And this can be a very proactive, um, exercise of asking yourself, like, what do I believe to be true about my body? What do I believe to be true about food? What do I believe to be true about eating behaviors? And just kind of starting to unpack that to see like Mm -hmm. what comes up for you. Um, A lot of these beliefs when we have, we can often also ask like, one, is it a fact? (laughs) Two, is it beneficial for me to think this way? Or who benefits from me thinking this way? Like me thinking that my values associated to my body does not really benefit me in any way, right? So Mm -hmm. does it benefit? And then that's where we can see like the impact of diet culture. That's like billion dollar industry like what is it like 70 billion
0: dollars more in back in 2004 it was 650 billion dollars per year the diet weight loss industry (laughs) so we can imagine it's way higher now which is which is beyond 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 because it's a business right like they yeah
1: if diet culture can make you believe that you are the issue like personally like you are the issue your body's the issue. When our body starts to feel unsafe, so there's three things that make us want to change our body. If your body starts to feel unsafe, we want to change. Like we don't tolerate well feeling unsafe. Mm -hmm. If your body feels uncomfortable or you have a lot of discomfort, as humans, we hate discomfort, we want to change. And if if you think your body doesn't belong, so if you have a fear Mm -hmm. of not belonging because of our body, we're going to want to change. And diet culture touches on all of these points. So it makes sense that they use all of the pain points to be like, ugh, so you do need to change. So let me give you this perfect diet that I know doesn't work, right? We have so much evidence, like so much (laughs) evidence that diets just don't work. 95% of people will regain the weight within one to five years. Weight Watchers is like 98%. Like it's ridiculous. Wow,
0: great thoughts, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. But we still do it because that pain is so high But then they make us believe that, well, it's your fault. Like you don't have willpower or motivation or like, like what, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. We start internalizing that, that we are the issue. And then we need to start another diet over and over again. And then we fall into this like cycle that just keeps going on.
0: It's so wild. And, and I really, in the back of my mind, I'm seeing such a parallel to rape culture And the way that our society is just so individualistic and always points to one person and says, you're bad, everything's okay, so you must be bad. Um, And I think of that for like, you know, back to the objectification conversation, like the question women will so often get with rape culture of, well, what were you wearing or like, what did you do to make this happen? Yeah, and that kind it? of blame game. And even for, this is a whole other conversation, but like even for perpetrators, it's like the culture is praising locker room talk and cat calling and, and like, you know, feeling like having sex with all the people, like where our culture is praising that, but then someone steps over that line. And then we say, why are you like this? where did this come from and very different conversation obviously but like also that parallel of of our culture failing to acknowledge that we've created a whole system and a whole culture and something as as painful as an eating disorder is a result of that and like yeah you just you explain that so eloquently and clearly so thank you I would love to know like I know you so honestly shared that when you first got into the anti-dieting space you were like some of my intentions were still that ed um behavior of like i'm gonna try to perfect this relationship to food or whatever it was Mm -hmm. so when did that start shifting for you and what was like was there kind of a light bulb moment where you were like oh my gosh i see diet culture like what changed that for you
1: Yeah. I think it's like, there's two things. Like when I first started in like nutrition itself and I was like, I will find the way for me to eat perfectly and like blah, blah, blah. But then realized that I couldn't like, no matter how subtle the restriction was or what type of like nutrition lifestyle I was doing, it was super fucking triggering for me. And like Mm. our body holds trauma too, right? Like as soon as I felt restricted, like I had a whole reaction to it every time. But so then, my mindset became okay. So now I'm understanding that, like, I personally can't do that because I have a history of eating disorder. So I'm gonna help people who are. Um, oh, actually, wait. Before that, I was like, I'm gonna be the dietitian. Okay, this is super fucked up.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: I'm gonna be the dietitian who helps people after their eating disorder recovery lose weight in a healthy way. Because oh, I was wow. like, I did not want to believe that I could never lose weight again. Like that. Mm thought of wait my body is never going to be because I after my recovery my body changed um yeah to protect itself and it's never went back to where it was prior to eating disorder so during that time I was like okay I'm going to be the dietitian who's going to help people who've had eating disorders lose weight like that's what I'm going to do because no one's doing that obviously because it's super fucked up but that's yeah. what it was <laughs> Uh, But after years with myself, I was like, okay, this doesn't work for me. It's way too triggering. So I'm not going to do that. But people who haven't had eating disorders, like they can still lose weight. And I think my brain went there of like, well, then I can help other people do that. Mm -hmm. It didn't take long for me to realize how um, messed up it was because it was such a big incoherence for me of like, why is it that some of these Mm -hmm. um, guidelines or what dietitian will recommend to some people is super disordered for one population but totally okay for the other one mm. and that's where it started to feel not okay like telling one person to count calories sounds okay but to the other one you're like oh no this is super triggering and it's not good and it's unhealthy and the more that I like got educated <laughs> in yeah. terms of eating disorder the more that I started to realize like wait, this is an issue for all. And then the more that I did research on like, why do people develop eating disorder? And you see that like 25% of dieters end up having an eating disorder that you're like, Mm. this is a slippery slope. Like people start with the intention of weight loss and health and blah, 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 blah. blah. But it doesn't take much for it to become obsessive and to then develop an eating disorder.
0: Yes, I'm like kind of smiling just because I'm like, this is so important. And I'm so like, it's just so important and um I hope that like listeners are feeling that light bulb moment because you really do like you really explain it so clearly and it's just so true it's so true Mm -hmm. that we're like set up for this and then when it happens there's like this total cultural denial of responsibility and like what's wrong with you how did you get here so yeah I just think um I think it's a very self-compassionate and important thing to educate ourselves on this. Something I'd love to talk about is like, again, for the sake of self-compassion, like what, and I don't, I'm not saying this to justify or like definitely not to promote disordered eating, but like what? what is the mechanism behind it? And I know that there's this kind of like, and I felt this in my life too, and you were kind of saying this as well, like when things feel totally out of control in our lives and we're just in this chaos, why might we turn to our bodies? Why might we put the focus and blame there to that like hyper degree?
1: Mm -hmm. That is such a good question. And I feel like that has been um, put overly unfocused during COVID. Like we saw even more like the cases of eating disorder in the last year and a half are bananas. And it's exactly because of, um, that type of mechanism of like, when we start feeling out of control in our life, or when we have a lot of pain somewhere in our life, or it could be trauma response to trauma, food in our body feels like something that we can control. Mm -hmm. When we start hyper-focusing on our body, it feels very much so like I can control this. This is something that I own, that I'm able to do. So when we feel like there's a lot of other areas in our life where we don't have control, we can find like... That starting to control our body provides us with, like, just a sense of relief of, like, oh, but at least there's this, like, at least I have my body that I can control. Mm-hmm. There's also the piece of, um, if there's a lot of pain or different things that we're not able to cope with, when we start hyper focusing on food, it takes all of our brain juice to do that. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about food all of the time, you plan, you cook, you do all of the things, and then the more that. Um, it becomes disordered and the more that you get towards like the eating disorder like your cognition is very much diminished so you Mm -hmm. can't actually focus on everything else so it's almost like food and body just like takes so much space in your life that everything else is like dim that you're not able to to cope with Mm -hmm. Um, and for some people for a period of time it is the only coping mechanism that they can access and that's why we see with eating disorder like I think there's a lot of like, oh, like it's so bad and all that. And like, obviously, like, I don't wish no one to have an eating disorder. And for some people in those moments, it's the best that they could do with what they had. And it's a way that Mm -hmm. they've learned to take care of themselves in those moments. And like, yes, eventually, like, yes, we need to like, let go of the eating disorder. And we work really hard on the recovery. But when we start seeing like that need to control is a way to cope it gives us a little bit more space to like, oof, okay, like this was me trying to take care of me in a really, really hard time, given not the best way, but still um, it was something that I tried to do for me.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. I think it's such a loving perspective. It reminds me of like in studying um, somatic sex education, like we'd call that adaptations of resilience. And you're just like coming up with a way to be resilient based on what you have. And it it is like, it's a way to appreciate our bodies and our spirits and our minds for coming up with something that keeps us afloat. And then it's like, once we're out of that chaos, hopefully we find humans like you MP or just like spaces and sources that can help us replace that coping mechanism with something that isn't harmful towards ourselves so yeah it totally totally makes sense I think it's such a loving thing and it's such an invitation for self-forgiveness as well because I think so many of us beat ourselves up for so so long yeah yeah and
1: that part is hard because there's a lot of shame with it as well like shame just keeps us stuck Um, and shame is a really hard emotion to hold and we can have shame for having any disorder, disordered eating, falling into the diet culture trap, but we can also just have like body shame of how,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: our, our bodies manifesting, um, the way that we decided to cope or things like that. And shame is a really hard emotion, but being able to like meet it with self-compassion and even like finding like how freaking normal this is, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like we're very yeah. like humanity, and like, wait, like this is how, a lot of people have dealt with it like this is not just me it really helps kind of like bring down the emotion of shame to allow space for a little bit more compassion
0: yeah oh that's such an important one because it really is I know too like silence is one of the biggest weapons of of disordered eating and I think that there are so many people same with mental health and same with sexual trauma like we suffer in silence about these things because we think it's just us and then and then hopefully there's that moment where we speak out or someone else speaks out and we're like, Oh my God. I mean like the me too movement, like, Oh my God, me too. And we realize like, Oh, this is, this is a frigging epidemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Let's talk about the intersection between sensuality slash pleasure slash sexuality and body image. So, I mean, obviously like these things are really, really super related. And yeah, I would love to just hear from you, like what, tell us a little bit about what you see living at that intersection and the way that those things relate.
1: Yeah, I think what I see most often with my clients is that through Years of dieting, restricting, or just feeling a lot of discomfort in our body, feeling like your bodies are not enough, we see ourselves like disconnecting from our body. Um, And this happens a lot, right? Like it's almost like the pain is too big that we just like don't want to think about our body, deal with our body, connect with our body. So when we think of like the sensuality part of things, we can have a disconnect there too, right? Because it can feel very overwhelming to connect with our senses that way when we don't connect with ourselves overall. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of, um, my clients have more of this piece of, like, I don't want to have pleasure with my body. I'm not comfortable doing that because I don't feel good in my skin Mm -hmm. or there's some oftentimes. And I think like the body positivity, body positivity, positivity, oh my God, (laughs) words hard. (laughs) Like, I think I do? think this is why I think this is why we can say popo
0: <laughs> so I'm going to say that word
1: instead. But... <laughs> um but we see that often some people will be like well I don't love myself so I can't do that for myself or there's this idea that there's like a requirement to be able to um but oftentimes it's more that we feel disconnected from ourselves so it can feel awkward to or we don't want to or we don't feel deserving of it so Those are all themes that come very often when we don't feel well in our bodies, or we feel disconnected, or we feel this sense of like unworthiness um, Mm -hmm. to to have pleasure.
0: Yeah, something I definitely hear a lot, and I used to live this for sure, is like once I lose weight. Then I can find a partner or lover who like super desires me. Then I can have a beautiful sex life. Like, what would you say to someone who's kind of struggling with that mindset?
1: Yeah. The first thing always is just compassion. Cause that's such a hard, it's such a hard thing to hold when we put any experience that we wish to have and we put a conditionality around it to be like, I will only be deserving and worthy of X, Y, and Z thing when this is that way. That is so hard. Like it's such a hard thing to hold. So first and foremost, always like so much self-compassion, but I would say that people in all body sizing, like no matter sizing people about body sizes, no matter where you are, like you are deserving of love, connection, sex, like all of the things, like it's not a, like you don't need to be thin to be able to be deserving of all of these things. And I've worked with a lot of different like coaches and relationship coaches, people who came into my group. And we talk often about this idea of like, feeling desirable and what that actually means and how we can have that at every body size right there's people in thin bodies who don't feel desirable just like Mm -hmm. there's people in larger bodies feeling really desirable so i think there's a few things that we can do for ourselves one identifying like our story like what story we're telling ourselves about our body of why we feel like it's not enough there's probably going to have to be some exposure as well. Like the first time may be more awkward and just kind of like seeing how it feels for you in a safe space, safe time. But then also having more body diversity in your feed. Like if all you see is, women who are desirable are thin. That's all we consume all of the time. It -hmm. makes sense that we have that story for ourselves. Like it makes sense that that's what we believe. And it makes sense that we then feel inadequate. So Mm -hmm. being able to cure their feet or see people of all body size, shape, color, ability, just be themselves and be like present. It can be super powerful as well, just for even just our brain, like the way our brain works to start seeing more evidence of okay, I can do this too. Yeah, um, And I think with like sex, it's also like, I think this is also more your realm than it is mine, but starting <laughs> with yourself first too, like connecting yes. with yourself first can be super powerful. And before you wanna connect with someone else in that way, um, just so you start feeling more comfortable and, mm-hmm. and focusing on the feelings instead of just the appearance too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oof, this is so good. Like all of this conversation is so good. Um, definitely the power of remembering that our bodies can be a source of pleasure and for anyone who's struggled with disordered eating body image like our bodies have been such a source of pain and consumption and everything so that reclamation of like my body's also a source of pleasure huge so love the love the self-pleasure invite there so much um <laughs> yes can you share a little bit, and I feel like you are just getting into this as well as like, real, like helping people realize that health, health at every size, like that appearance and health are not necessarily one and the same.
1: Yes. I could talk about this for hours. Envy like is like, like so excited for
0: anyone who's not watching, but just listening, like and is like getting so excited.
1: I'm like getting all worked up. I'm like, <laughs> yes. This is He's my like idea. stretching we did a webinar on this that was supposed to be an hour it lasted an hour and 45 minutes because yeah. this is such a big topic um yeah <laughs> also part of like this whole system of belief that we believe that health is only accessible to a, a person in a thinner body or that health and weight are correlated that you need to be thin to be healthy this is not the truth and I would like want to repeat that over and over again that our yeah. health and our weight are not the same, that you can be healthy at every size. You can engage in health at every size. Um, health is also a value. Like, I think sometimes we start, when we start doing this work, we're like, okay, like I'm going to like let go of weight a little bit, but then health becomes this new target of like, I must be the ultimate healthiest version of myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the truth is that hell, like there's so much different factors that come into why we are healthy and our health levels. And very little of those are controllable. Like more than 80% of our health outcomes are genetics, socioeconomic, socioeconomic. Oh my God, I can't speak. (laughs) (laughs) But all of these other determinants of health that have nothing to do with our behaviors, fitness, nutrition, like, and other health behaviors are part of it, but they're not the biggest part of it. Um, And the reason that that's important is that sometimes we feel, again, like it's a personal responsibility to do all the things at all times. But even if you did, it doesn't mean necessarily that you would be the ultimate healthiest version of yourself. Um, Health also is when we attach it just to a weight piece of things, um, it really doesn't add up. Like when we look at the research behind like why people are healthy and health outcomes we see it a lot more with the health behaviors than the size like most studies that study um like health outcomes and take weight into account as well they see that no matter the weight that you're at you can still improve your health outcome and you can still be healthy when you do different health behaviors. And most likely if you have good genetics, right? Mm -hmm. So people of all sizes have different health condition. There's nothing that's just attached to a size per se. Um, but that's just a one that's really, really hard to, um, Unpack as well because it falls into that body safeness like if you believe that your body size will cause you to be unhealthy we can start feeling like our body's unsafe and mm-hmm. that's a big driver for us to again want to diet and do all of the things um but I think the big <laughs> the biggest thing is just that health and weight are separate things that you can be healthy at any size just like you can be unhealthy at any size um, and that your health status also is not an indication of your worth
0: yeah uh, so much of this like so often we hear this kind of like we were saying before praising of behaviors and this sort of like congratulations you look amazing like you look so healthy when someone loses weight and often maybe that person like i remember someone saying this they're like i received that comment and they were like why are you celebrating this? Like, I actually have been struggling with depression a lot and having a hard time eating. And meanwhile, our culture is like, you're doing great. Right. So uh, that's, what's really hard is that because we associate weight loss with health, like and success. It's like a success success. story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's such a weird thing because like, like you said, like a lot of people either, um, they have lost weight. We don't want, we don't know why people lose weight, right? Like there can be so many different reasons why mm-hmm. someone lost weight. So you don't really know what you're complimenting. But even if the person, let's say, was like dieting and lost the weight, by continuously commenting on weight loss, we continue to associate our value with the weight. Mm-hmm. So if this person, for example, is one of the 95% of people who will regain the weight, then this person, when she regains the weight, probably feels even worse because she's like, well, I was praised when I was there. People thought this of me when I was there, what will they think of me now? And come back into this cycle of shame that's just even stronger. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to add, just because I thought about this, and I think this is also important to name, just like, you know, wait, we don't want to comment or like doesn't attach to your value story. Same thing with health. What can happen when people start transitioning of like, okay, I understand I can be healthy at every size. Like I get it. Like we're starting to repair the relationship with our body. Have a lot of experience of people in larger bodies who then fall into the, and I say this with like all the love, it's not negative to me, but like, I wanna be the good fatty. So Mm -hmm. now I need to justify my weight with all of these health behaviors. So I need to show people that like, look, I eat well, I train, I do all of these things and I'm large and like, that's okay. And then we start putting like so much pressure on health and health behaviors as a way to justify our body. And we don't need to do that, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. hard, I know, but we don't need to do that. like we never need to justify our body and like being healthy does not justify your body like if you're in a large body and you're healthy or if you're in a large body and unhealthy, it still doesn't impact your worth like it health is not something that makes you more worthy or valuable
0: yeah as we as we listen to this, I really feel um like we can all like everyone listening and I feel this too like see the ways that all these systems of oppression interweave because I'm like that's capitalism bullshit like to be like you need to work 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 be a machine be a machine prove that you're a valuable worker like it's really it's really the same crap so it's all so connected and like you said like this really is a social justice movement because it's challenging so much oppression and and pain in our world. so you're freaking amazing I want to talk so much more um tell us how making an impact and stepping into a role as educator has maybe helped you shift your own sense of body empowerment and like yeah what's been really rewarding for you in this work
1: that is such a good freaking question. Okay. So I think for me, like before I really got into this role of like working with people with like, for example, eating, so disordered eating, I had done a lot of work on me first. And Mm -hmm. although I don't believe that you need to be completely healed to help others with eating disorder and disordered eating, it's really important to have at least 95% of it done because it can be super triggering. So I think that for me, like being in a place where I was able to help people Before doing it was really important. But the more that I do this work, I think for me, it gives me, it's almost like every day I'm just realizing how much life is so much better when food is not an issue and when my body is just my body. I feel like doing this work just allowed me to see my body as this wonderful freaking vessel that allows me to just be in this world and do all of the things and just not have to care as much either like i think that is so cool and i think that this type of energy too like when i meet people like people instantly feel more relaxed because they're not like oh shit like this person's not judging me on how i look or how i behave or like i don't need to like suck it in when i'm like showing up or anything and we just get to like be um, and i think that's one thing that my um therapist it's my favorite saying she told me and i repeat it almost myself every day we're not human working, we're human being. And we just, we get to just be like, I don't need to work towards my body to be anything. It can just be how it is today, here and now. And that's okay. And that's so freaking wonderful because it does so many things for
0: me. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't know if I answered your question
0: at all. You totally, totally did. You okay. did in such a beautiful way. And it, it really made me feel like, yes, like this is the world that I want to live in. And, and I- you know like I'm so this is a super invitation for everyone listening to like pause and self appreciate because if you even clicked on this podcast and like pressed play that shows that you're at a certain point of like reclaiming or wanting to shed those diet culture beliefs and claim something more loving and I just think it's so important like It's easy to not realize how much healing we've already done. It's easy to look forward and say, I have so much more to do, but it's super important to look back as well and be like, wow, look how far I've already come and proud of myself. So it's just super beautiful to hear that.
1: Yeah. And a lot of like, I would say like, also a lot of like day to day, just like, what can I do today to take care of myself? Even with all of the diety shit around me what can I do today for me? Like, I think a lot of my clients and participant, like, although they can see that, like, you know, the journey behind and where they want to go. I think a lot of victories when we leave diet culture are very like retroactive. So it's not like you ever like achieve like a milestone of like, yes, today I've done like blah, blah, blah. Cause it's not mm-hmm. like weight loss or anything like that, but it's more like looking back and be like, oh shit like I didn't shit on myself all day today like yeah. that's pretty freaking cool <laughs> or like things that we think back and we're like oh I was able to go to dinner with people and it was just fine and I picked what I wanted and I was able to listen to myself and it didn't feel hard and then we're like okay cool like a lot of these things just start falling into place when we um let go of diet culture
0: mm-hmm. that's a really good point because it's almost like um an anticlimactic healing process and I think that our culture like we want those big moments we want those big like breakthrough experiences and I I guess that like a big part of this healing is being okay with like really small subtle chill kind of changes and like yeah I just recently I like looked back on my journals from high school and that was a big moment for me because I was like wow I've come a really long way because eating disorder mindset was just woven into everything I wrote and like evaluating my day like so much was around evaluating what I ate and things and it's like not something that I had a moment where I was like boom I'm never gonna do this again but it's just like over time, this gradual shift where I, yeah. where now I'm like, whoa, I don't, I don't do that anymore, celebration. Yeah,
1: so it's weird because it's like all of these like little steps and it's ne- never like a, a big, like, oh my God, like this happened and all that. But when you're like realizing all these things, you're like, it's like a dramatic life change. Like it's really? so insane how your life changes when food in your body are not occupying 90% of your brain. Yeah, the amount of energy that you have to do everything else in life is just so amazing and like so cool
0: it's huge it's so life-changing and I just I do I appreciate this so much because I do remember a time of being totally consumed by this thinking and it's incredible like you said like you're embodying something different we're embodying something different can you share this I guess like we were we were both like we won't talk for an hour 40 minutes but I also see how we (laughs) could but but we won't um (laughs) can you share a little more about about kind of like being a safe space or like sort of role modeling an alternative to diet culture and just like the selflessness in that I don't know tell me if that doesn't make sense and I'll rewrite it okay um like you were (laughs) saying You were saying that because you no longer perpetuate and hold the diet culture beliefs people feel safer around you they feel Mm -hmm. like they can relax their bellies they feel like they can just like let go of a lot of self-consciousness so can you share i guess a bit about like how powerful it is for each of us to reclaim that body empowerment and how that plays like a larger role in, in dismantling diet culture. Yeah. yeah. Ooh,
1: I love that. Yeah. Okay. So I, that's, that's how I see it in terms of the work that I do, like working with individual, I see like every person who does this work has like a huge effect on all of their community, friends, and family. Every person that I've worked with have influenced other people. Right. Cause I think and I even think about that when people call to work with me, there's some people who are still going to be like, but I want weight loss. And then we kind of like have a discussion around, like, okay, like here's my approach. And how do you feel about that? And 95% of the time, people are just like, <sighs> breathing better, like, wait, like it can be different. Like it feels like sometimes like so foreign to think like, I don't have to fight against my body anymore. I don't have to fight against food. It doesn't need to be this complicated. It just feels like a, <sighs> And I think the more people that heal, the more people that allow themselves to just be, the more that we give other people permission to do that too. Like there's someone in my group who lives in a larger body and she hasn't worn a dress in 25 years because she didn't feel like she could. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: one of the other person bought a dress, they have a very similar body type and they like influence each other. So then she's now wearing a dress. And then she has one of her friends who's like, Oh my god that looks so good like I want to dress in a way that makes my body feel good so even if you're not actively like I'm gonna dismantle diet culture and do all the things you living in your own power and you just being you the way that feels good and just allowing it to be gives other people permission to do that too and I think that's the most amazing thing ever and I right. even think of you like you freaking dancing on Instagram. I'm like, I can dance on Instagram if I want. To. Freaking Barney's doing it. So, yes. <laughs> we give ourselves permission that way. It's just like, I just get to be, and there's no judgment there because it just feels good. That's just what I want to do. And I'm good with me. And that's what matters most
0: hmm yay that's literally like I'm like that's the clip that's the that's the, that's, the, that's like I'm like I got
1: teary eyes a little bit yeah. it.
0: <laughs> it's exactly it and and honestly it's that is really why I I created this podcast is like to mm-hmm. to demonstrate the fact that like when we prioritize our own healing and when we do this reclamation for ourselves it ripples um rather than like I think a lot of people take this approach of like forget about myself I need to go out and dismantle these systems and do activism and all these things and they like, leave themselves out of it and keep suffering but it's so you said it so beautifully it's exactly that like when we do it for ourselves it ripples out and we become that embodied role model for each other we all do that for each other Mm -hmm. Um, So it's such a gorgeously selfless thing to prioritize this. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with this episode. I love it. Um, (laughs) And you are freaking amazing. Um, Tell everyone how they can connect with you. Please share about your amazing program and all of the things.
1: Yeah, so you can connect with me on Instagram, the Balance Dietitian. That's where I hang out most. Though I've been taking like a break off Instagram because I'm like, eh, don't want to right now. Yeah, yeah. That happens sometimes. Self um, yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm like, oh, it's, it's a lot right now. Um, but yeah, I have a program called the Balance Program. Everything is balanced because I'm like obsessed with like balance. <laughs> because guess to yeah. me, it's like just finding this way that like, I feel grounded and aligned with everything that I want to do. And I want that for everyone, like finding balance through life. Uh, but yeah, my program is what I'm obsessed with right now, aside from Odin, my dog, um, because that's <laughs> where I get to help women heal their relationship with food and their body. So it's a six month program where we connect and we we talk all things about like our mind, food, body, and then self-love, self-compassion, and just being able to live in diet culture in a way that feels good. So We've talked a lot about healing in this podcast. Like this is a program where we heal. (laughs) Like There's a lot of growth, a lot of changes, but it really allows us like to heal as a community. And I think that was my biggest thing um, when creating this program is that I wanted to build a community where people feel safe and feel okay and share and feel like, seen and heard and loved by others and know that they're not the only one going through this, but also know that they can get through this too. Mm-hmm. I think healing from diet culture is something that's really hard because it's continuously praised um, by our society. But even if it's hard, it's so, so, so doable. And I think doing it as part of the community is like my ultimate favorite thing because you see so much growth and people supporting one another. So that's the balance program. It's where we do all of the work recovering from diet culture in a really safe and fun way.
0: Amazing. Yay. Thank you so much for doing this work. Thank you so much for sharing and being such a beautiful badass. I'm so excited that you exist and that we know each other. (laughs) You are so wonderful. Thank
1: you so much for having me on your podcast and just like allowing me to have this conversation with you, your audience. Like, I think it's so important. Like the more people that heal from diet culture, the more that we're going to work towards like, letting go (laughs) yeah sure a hundred percent i
0: i honestly think it is because i just think i just see the ways again like we're saying that prioritizing my own healing has meant that I'll break up a conversation and of course like this is my work in some ways as well but like I'll break up a conversation that's perpetuating diet culture I'll ask my friends not to speak in certain body negative bashing ways like I won't consume certain media I won't shop at certain places that are perpetuating so and it's not like these are like oaths of of um like boundaries that I've taken it's just like as I do this healing I'm like oh this doesn't feel good for me to engage in that anymore and I think there is this like collective gradual extinction that can happen yeah I'm (laughs) all for it (laughs) yes (laughs) amazing thank you so much thank you everyone for listening this was a huge episode so definitely like Share, review, reach out to us, connect with MP, um tag us and stuff, ask us questions. I think we're both super stoked on this conversation anytime. Um, yay! Sending you all so much love. Thank you. Thank you for listening, loves. I hope that that episode landed as powerfully for you as it did for me. I honestly was like taking notes as I played that back because there was so much value in there. Definitely join MP and myself at our live masterclass going down on the 18th. That's happening from 12 p.m. Eastern time to 1 p.m. You can sign up, link in the show notes, thebalancedpractice.com slash Marley. You will learn how to eat guilt-free and feel good in your body without feeling shame and guilt and never dieting again. So we're super here for that. So, so here to just reclaim our worth and know that that has nothing to do with our weight. I am appreciating you so much for listening. Please do share and leave a review if this resonated with you. Check out the Sensual Wholeness Academy via the link in the show notes. And I'm a human. Always feel free to message me. I'm so excited when I hear your feedback. See you tagging me as you listen to this. It just brings me so much joy. So thank you for listening and we will see you next week.